you're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit www.oasiswaterloo.org. Good morning. Um, so, I'm Dave. Um, I'm just going to start by saying I feel a little bit peeved about this. Um, so, three weeks ago, the first big question, Steve did five minutes on why, basically why God is love. Last week, Nathan did 15 minutes on what we should teach at Children's Church. And this week, I've got what's the Holy Spirit and what are the gifts of the Spirit all about, which, to be frank, doesn't really feel like a fair distribution of uh, the topics. <laughs> um, I'm going to give it a crack. Um, just some little caveats as I start. Um, first thing I would say is everything I'm going to say this morning is my view. I'm aware that like, when we talk about the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts and all of that sort of stuff, we all come from different perspectives, all got different language about it all have different experiences. Um, so if you don't like what I've said, um, you can ask me questions about it or you can talk to me afterwards when we have a tea and coffee. Um, I'm going to finish by talking about the gifts. Um, so we read in 1 Corinthians there one set of spiritual gifts. Um, but I think we probably ought to start by just talking a little bit about the Holy Spirit and then we'll come back to the gifts at the end. The first question you've got to ask yourself, I guess, when you're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit is which ones are we talking about? So they are dotted across the New Testament in loads of different places and in the Old Testament. So there's passage in Corinthians, which we just read. If you go another couple of chapters later, there's another set of gifts. If you look in Romans, there's a gift that talk about prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership. Um, there's some stuff in Ephesians. There's, like I said, some stuff in the Old Testament in Isaiah. Um, so there are various different lists of these across the Bible. Um, and so we'll come back to those at the end. Um, first of all, though, just to talk about the Holy Spirit in general. Um, I think when we're talking about this, it's quite hard to have a conversation about it because we're trying to explain the unexplainable. We're trying to put language around this mystery right at the heart of our faith and the heart of our world. Um, and so the language in the Bible is often quite poetic. It's quite pictorial. It's like giving you a glimpse of stuff. So it talks about the Spirit being breath and it talks about tongues of fire and in the New Testament on page one of the Bible, it talks about the spirit hovering over the waters. And there's this quite sort of pictorial language around it. And I think it's because it's difficult to put human language around this. Um, secondly, I think we've got a challenge in that as Christians, I think depending on which wing of the church we come from, we all talk about this using different language ourselves. Um, so I'll have one way of explaining what I think about it, depending on where you've your background, you might have completely different language. I sometimes think we're trying to talk about the same stuff, but end up using different language and miss each other a bit because we're using different language. Um, so, for instance, let me give you a little example of that. I think some people might say, I've had a word from God. And I think somebody else might say, I've had this real clear insight today about something. I think somebody might say, I've had this picture given to me. And somebody else might say, this moment of real clarity today about what I should do. And I think sometimes we use different language and we're sort of teasing around the same stuff. Um, and I think we need to be careful with each other that we sort of respect the different languages we all use um, and try and dig into that because I think we sometimes use different language. I think also we, as, in, as individuals, experience the world in different ways. Um, we find depth of meaning in different places. And I think actually that's part of the mystery of the creation we live in. Um, so I love experimental jazz and I found, find depth and meaning and profundity in all of that. Anna, my wife, thinks it's irritating noise. Um, so we went to Ronnie Scott's uh, last weekend 
and I'm absolutely loving it, and Anna went to sleep, you know, so um, Anna, on the other hand, loves netball and finds depth and meaning and profundity in playing sport, and I think, how on earth can you do that? It's a massive game of catch. You know, like, it, we all experience the world differently, and we should bear with each other a bit. One thing I would say, though, is that I think if people are a bit too dogmatic about how the spirit works, when you get it, like those gifts, how they work, and you know, which ones are most important. I think if we're too dogmatic about this stuff, actually we're in danger of lowballing God a bit, putting too much parameters around it. I think, frankly, if I can explain the Holy Spirit to you and how these gifts work in 15 minutes, God is pretty small um, because I've managed to do that. I think we need to hold in tension the breadth of God. I think we're in danger sometimes of putting too many parameters around how this stuff works and actually making God small and explainable. Um, and I think that's, so I think we should be careful about being too dogmatic. When I was at school, I was really good at maths. Um, so it was the thing, the subject I was good at at school. So I could tell you, at school and six or I could tell you everything you needed to know about Pythagoras' theorem. I could tell you how it works. I could draw you pictures of it. I could prove it. I could do, um, use it in different contexts. I could tell you why it was important, how you might use it in real life. I could, you know literally tell you everything about it. The parameters of my understanding about Pythagoras' theorem were pretty clear. I could tell you and understand all of it. Maths at school was just a bit like that for me, um, that I could, I just got it, and the parameters around my understanding were pretty clear, and I was confident because I understood it all. And because I understood it all, I felt like I could sort of get into it and explore it. When I went to university to do maths, the whole world changed. So maths became this expansive subject that was well beyond my understanding and was actually starting to dig into putting language around the meaning of life and like language around philosophical questions and all of a sudden I had this expansive mass that there was just literally no way I could understand it all and I had to actually start using my brain slightly differently um, so now I had to sort of cope with the fact that I didn't understand it all and I was never going to understand it all but that couldn't put me off digging into bits of the subject and so I could understand that bit and I could put some frame around that bit and I could connect the dots a bit and I could understand that bit and I could understand some of it but I had to, at the same time hold intention I didn't understand everything and to do with maths I don't know if that makes sense but I think when we're talking about the Holy Spirit we have to have flexible brains we have to have elastic brains a bit to hold intention we're probably not going to understand it all we're looking in part, you know, we're looking in a broken mirror. We're not seeing it all at the moment. But that shouldn't put us off. We can still explore different bits. We can still dig into different bits of it. But we do have to hold it in tension with the fact that we won't understand it all at once. I think that's a, a difficult thing to do. Um, here's my little window into the Holy Spirit. I don't know if this is helpful, but can we put the PowerPoint up as well? Just the blank slide to start with. Um, I see the Holy Spirit as being this golden thread which runs through all of creation, all of the universe, all of the people sitting in this room. Um, if we skip on to the first picture, I think we should less see the Holy Spirit like this. This is Aladdin's lamp. Um, and more like the next picture on the next slide, like this. If you go back to the Aladdin's lamp again, I, I think sometimes we've been, we're in danger of being a little bit juvenile about the Holy Spirit. And we treat it a little bit like this supernatural force which will come in and zap stuff when we call on it. Um, and I think, actually, we set up a paradigm where God's dimension and our dimension are quite far apart from one another. 
and we're actually calling on the supernatural God dimension into our natural, our dimension. I think that's actually a mistake and, and really makes it difficult for us to understand the Holy Spirit. If we flick on to the next slide, I think actually a better understanding of God's dimension and our dimension is that they are close together in a mysterious way that I can't completely explain to you. But they're close together, intertwined with one another, one and the same thing, two sides of a coin. I think heaven and earth are actually not exactly the same, but are really close together. You know, when people talk about thin places where you feel like you can experience heaven in that thin place, I think that's because heaven and earth are close. And there's this mystery in the mundaneness of natural life, if you like, and the supernatural world are sort of intertwined together in a way that I can't quite explain to you. They're two sides of the same coin. Have any of you seen um, Stranger Things, the Netflix show? Um, so Stranger Things, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's, it's a good program. But um, you, they've got this like real world, and the kids in Stranger Things find what they call the upside down, which is this other sort of dark side world. It's a mirror reflection, but it's the sort of dark version of the world they live in. And they have this mysterious like they can sort of transition between the two and one thing impacts the other in a way that they can't explain. I think our theology, the theology in the Bible, actually is the like good version of that. We've got like the upside down, but it's the good upside down. Heaven and earth are actually close together and they sort of interact with one another in a quite mysterious way. And I think the mystery of the Holy Spirit is somewhere in that. It's close together and it's this golden thread that runs through our creation. I think it's a golden thread that calls us to glimpse heaven in the here and now. It's a golden thread that gives us the energy to be the people who drag heaven, drag the future into the now. Um, I think it's this golden thread that allows us to glimpse and gives us the energy to be able to do some of that stuff. Tom Wright um, says this in one of his books. Somehow, God's dimension and our dimension, heaven and earth, overlap and interlock. All the questions we want to ask, how does this happen? Who does it happen to? Where, when, why, under what conditions? What does it look like when it does? All these remain partly mysterious and will do until creation is finally renewed and the two spheres, the two dimensions, are joined into one as they were designed to be. I think the Holy Spirit is this golden thread and I think heaven and earth are close together and there's mystery in that. And it means that we're not calling on supernatural interventions the whole time. It's somehow closer together than that. Um, we skip on one more slide. I would like you to do this little exercise. This is um, a breathing exercise, if you're up for this. What I'm going to ask you to do is we go along the top line, just breathe in for four counts. Then as we go down the side, hold it for four counts. Then along the bottom, breathe out for four counts. And then up the side again, hold it for four counts. Are you up for that? So, right, I'm going to ask you to breathe in for one, two, three, Four. Hold it for four. One, two, three, four. Breathe out for four. One, two, three, four. Hold it for four. One, two, three, four. Breathe in again for four. One, two, three, four. And breathe out. You can stop. Um, the reason I do that is you're going to breathe between 17,000 and 23,000 times today. Um, when in the last day, week, month, even the last year, were you actually aware of your breathing? Like, and I bet the answer is not very often. Um, 
we're not aware of some of these things, despite the fact, you know, our lungs are moving in and out. We can see it. You can actually hear yourself breathing. And actually, it's so, you know, we do it so many times that we forget. We don't miss it. We don't notice it. Um, I think if God's spirit is built into the fabric of everything and is built into the fabric of our universe in this mysterious way that I've tried to explain, how often do we notice it? How often do I notice someone being kind during the week? How often do I notice somebody forgiving? How often do I notice we've destroyed the environment and yet good stuff is growing back? How often do I notice when somebody goes out of their way to be sacrificial? How often do I notice the Spirit of God involved in the everyday of life um, in, a, in a way which is beyond the way which we sometimes could do in our own, um, under our own power? And the answer is not very often, not as often as I should. So what about the actual gifts? If we put up the next slide. And so here's one set of the gifts of the Spirit. Um, like I said, they're all over the Bible. First thing I would say about the gifts of the Spirit is I don't think they're a comprehensive list. So they're dotted all over the Bible. And I read somebody was saying they think there are as many gifts as there are human needs. So I don't think they're a comprehensive list. Secondly, I don't think they're badges of spiritual maturity either. Um, if you read the first sentence of the reading that Joe read, they were given to the church, all of us together, in order to be the people who could be the foretaste of heaven right here and right now, who could be the people that offered the glimpse of the nearness of heaven and earth right here and right now. They were given to all of us together as a community. In fact, to all of humanity, I think, frankly, as a community together. I think it's terrible, really, that these are a wonderful list of things, and yet sometimes the church has used them as badges of well, you're not spiritually mature, and actually if you prayed more, you would have, you'd do one of those things on that list. And sometimes we've used them almost as a, an exclusive thing, you know, to rule out some people and put par parameters about things. I don't think they're that. I think they're given to us as gifts to be a foretaste of heaven. Um, and I'll explain that a little bit more in a second. The third thing I would say about this list is that I think we all play our part, don't we? In fact, that thing that Joe read comes the paragraph before, before Paul goes on to talk about the different parts of the body. So a body would be ridiculous if it had all eyes or all legs or all ears or whatever. Um, so he's making the point about we all do this together. Um, so we don't have to be good at everything on that list. In fact, you know, it will take all of us together to do some of this stuff. And the fourth thing I would say is I don't think they're spiritual magic tricks. So if you go back to my Aladdin and that picture of creation um, imagery, I don't think these are, like I said, the spiritual godly dimension is distinctly different from the human dimension and they're far apart. I don't think this is us calling on some of these things to zap natural life to make it different. I think there's something much more complex going on than that because heaven and earth are close together. So what about um, the ones that look a bit more like suddenly miraculous on that list? So maybe healing or speaking in tongues or whatever. Um, first thing I would say is I, I think there is mystery in the universe. We do not live on a cold, hard planet that is just, you know, chance multiplied by, you know, the particles that put us together. There is some mystery that it's hard to explain in the heart of our universe. So I'm not going to write off, um, you know, sudden uh, interventions and that sort of miraculous stuff going on at all. It's not hugely my experience. And so it's difficult for me to talk about a bit but I'm not going to write it off in the slightest. But I would say this. Um, from my perspective, I think sometimes we can be a little bit spiritually lazy because we set up this paradigm where God's dimension and our dimension are far apart. And so sometimes we're praying for a miraculous intervention 
and actually we are supposed to be the miraculous intervention. Um, and sometimes we're asking for the Holy Spirit to zap things in our in the natural world in a way that I think is a bit unhealthy. It's, it's, it's different to that. It's closer together than that. And we're supposed to be part of the jigsaw. If you take healing as an example, I struggle with a God who is a pick and choose God. This is my view, who says, I'll heal you, I won't heal you, I won't heal you, I might heal you, um, not you. I find that quite difficult. Um, I'm not going to rule that out altogether, but I do find that personally difficult. Um, and I think sometimes when we're asking for like the like supernatural change this thing in a radical way, sometimes we're failing to miss, we're missing the actual work of the spirit that is going on right in front of our eyes. So even in the midst of very painful situations, you can still see the depth and profundity of love between people. You can still see people finding moments of joy in terrible situations. You can still find people finding moments of forgiveness in terrible situations. And actually, I think there's perhaps some depth and some meaning that we miss because we're looking for this sort of zapping and changing direction sometimes, if that makes sense. Um, So you can ask some questions about that in a moment. So as I stop, um, I think our job, if the Spirit of God is written into all of creation and into the universe in this complex way where heaven and earth are close... I think it's our job to notice, um, our job to do better at noticing. I think the more I notice those good things happening around me, the more I'm good at the things I'm good at. Um, so I'm not saying I am, but if I'm good at wisdom on the list, I think the more that I notice the goodness around me, the more I will be a wise person. The more I'm dismissive of and cynical about and, and push away those things, the smaller I become and the less good at those things I am. I think our job is there's this tension between noticing all that going on in order that we can step into the gifts that we all get together, if you like. And my final thought is, how much does the world need... No, they've gone, but that list. Like, how much does the world need people who are wise a bit beyond themselves? How much does the world need, if you're talking about tongues and speaking in tongues, but if you're talking about communicating with each other in a way that people can understand, how much does the British government need to be able to understand and communicate with the Iranian government in a way that doesn't miss? How much does our world need people who are prophetic and say, the world isn't the way it should be, it's supposed to be like that, and notice stuff and say, we should be doing that thing. You know, the the police station that we're all doing together is prophecy. It's, the world shouldn't be like this and we should do something slightly different about it. Um, How much does the world need that list of characteristics, that list of gifts? And I think it really, really does. So I am going to stop there. Ah, Look at that. (laughs) I'm going to stop there. You can write down all the hard questions you can think of, and Steve is going to come and answer them. (laughs) Great. Okay. So we're going to put on a little bit of music. And uh, if you've got some uh, uh, bits of paper with you, what questions does what Dave uh, said throw up for you? And we're going to take just 10 minutes to answer those before we finish our service together this morning. Talk together. So we're going to... I know people are still writing questions. We're going to start answering some, but you can hand them in. We've got loads of questions here, so we're not going to get to answer all of them, but we'll, we'll give it a crack. And we're um, going to take 10 minutes, Dave, so I've got an eye on the clock. So, um, here's, the first, here's the first one. Um, do you think we acknowledge God's spirit at work amid all our own efforts? Um, I think that's a really good question. Um, 
from my perspective, um, I think we just need to be careful. This is what I was trying to say. To not make the Spirit all about the... Um, the Holy Spirit all about the, like... Um, sudden miraculous things that happen and actually be a bit more careful to not to write that off but to think about the holy spirit and the spirit that's built into the fabric of all creations in amongst everything so i do think we could acknowledge it a bit more um and i think we all could notice and acknowledge that it's going on around us more than we do um i think that's again what i was trying to say i think we sometimes just drift through lives not noticing and therefore not acknowledging too i guess um I would also say that we just need to be careful about language. So when we acknowledge like on a, on a Sunday or talk about on a Sunday the spirit at work, I don't think it always needs to come with and this is the Holy Spirit at work for us to be talking about that. I think when we're talking about the good stuff that's going on in our community um, and all the good stuff that's happening, all the kind things that are happening and the people who are volunteering at the food bank, I think we are talking about the Holy Spirit at work in our community. Um, so I don't think it always needs to come with, and here's the Holy Spirit chunk, if you see what I mean. Um, however, I think all of us would do well to be a bit more acknowledging of, a bit more noticing of, um, the Spirit of God written into all things, the small things and the big things. I um, don't know if that makes any sense. Mm. You got anything to add So to that? there's a whole load of questions here that funnel together that I'll uh, have a crack at. How could the Holy Spirit be given more space to express himself through his gifts as he might want to in Sunday and midweek, midweek meetings? And then here's one. How can Oasis give space within services for intentional opportunity for the Spirit to manifest and be experienced? And uh, here's two more that fit together. Do you think that a dualistic theology has prevented the church from engaging more fully in uh, issues such as clim the climate crisis and other environmental issues? And what are the main ways we misinterpret and misunderstand the gifts of the Spirit? And um, I think, strangely, all those questions fit together because I think that there's a kind of view of what the Spirit does as a bit of magic you know, going back, you know, so if we get some, you know, if we, if we get something kind of woo, weird and wonderful happening on a Sunday or midweek, um, then that's, that's it. Our whole lives are lived with God's spirit all the time. So engagement in the issue of climate change, that crisis, the engagement in fighting so that no young person is stabbed on our streets etc etc engagement in issues around mental health engagement in issues around a, a more equality in our communities etc etc seem to be to me to be right at the center of the whole of the gospel and that whole of the teaching of jesus he's not interested in our ethereal kind of experience do you, you know he's uh, the, the bible is never interested in a little kick that i might get Bible is interested not so much in what God does in for me as in how I surrender myself to the Holy Spirit through the whole of my life. So perhaps one critique of the church in the 20th century and left over in the 21st century is that the church withdrew. If you look at the life of South London, when Charles Spurgeon was buried, you know, Charles uh, used to run the church just down the road and was a good friend of the church leaders here, when Charles Spurgeon was buried, the, um, the whole of London turned out. It was like a state funeral. 
Um, the sociologists say that when Charles Spurgeon was buried, Charles Spurgeon was a great Baptist leader, they say, read it in dozens of books, that when they buried Charles Spurgeon, they buried evangelicalism. He was the last great evangelical because he ran a church, he started kids' clubs, he started a theological college, he got engaged with the poor. He was a kind of William Booth-type character. And for me, God's spirit is seen in our, what is prophecy? Prophecy isn't standing up and saying, I've got a word. Prophecy is saying, we've got something to do. We can make that police station happen, which will save lives rather than it become another luxury block of flats. What's the harder thing to do? It strikes me the harder thing to do is always put our money where our mouth is. And that seems to be what Paul's talking about. Uh, one last thing before I hand over to, to uh, Dave. Um, um, so if you read theology around um, the Holy Spirit, the, it, it, Dave quoted this guy, Tom Wright, who often gets quoted, he has a kind of, he has a, he has a colleague that we don't hear about as, as much. His name's Jimmy Dunn. And James Dunn is a professor um, in, um, uh, in Glasgow. Um, he's uh, Tom's age, slightly older. And Jimmy Dunn has written a theology of the Holy Spirit. He's a, he's a genius. And what James Dunn says, analyzing all of Paul's work, is you can't pull apart a theology of the Holy Spirit and a theology of what we do. That's dualism. You just can't do it. James Dunn says, at one moment, Paul is saying, rely on the Spirit. And the next moment, he's saying, let's fight. You know, I'm going to give up everything. He says, don't live like this. Live like that. Give up this way of living. Choose this way of living. And then he goes back to saying, be filled with the fruit, uh, uh, fruit of the Spirit. So for Paul, it's all one holistic mix in. And as we give ourselves to all of these issues, so we serve God. So of course we need to hear prophecy in our services and midweek meetings. Of course we need to hear the word of God. But that doesn't happen, I don't believe, when someone stands up and says, I've got the word of God. I could do that, but I know I'm wrong half the time. You know, it happens when we together discern God's word and we act prophetically, for instance. Long, too long an answer, um, but a short answer, and I'm sure it's not done justice to some of the thoughts in those questions. That's why I asked Steve to speak, so I wouldn't have to answer any questions because it'd take all 10 minutes. <laughs> um, so I've got two here. That One's about Pentecost and the other one's about speaking in tongues. So maybe i talk about those two together. Um, so wasn't the Holy Spirit poured out at Pentecost? Did it exist in the world before that? Were the disciples just unaware of it? Um, so I think, this is me, um, think the Spirit of God is written into all things and has been since the dawn of time. Uh, I think in Genesis it talks about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Like, I think the Bible talks about that all the time. There's a whole bunch of stuff in Isaiah where the prophets are talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So this is definitely not a, it just happened at Pentecost and it wasn't there before, I don't think. Um, I think at Pentecost there was this great outpouring of, and now you've got to get involved too. And now you've got to spread this message. And now you've got to take on some of the gifts that are going to be a bit beyond yourself because heaven and earth are close and there's this interrelationship between heaven and earth. Um, at Pentecost, they, 
you know, there was the speaking in tongues at Pentecost. And that was a go out and talk to all these people in languages they can understand because we're spreading this inclusive message of love to the entire world. It was this democratization, frankly, of the message that Jesus had been talking to people about. Um, so for me, I've, I've got no personal experience of speaking in tongues. Um, uh, however, when you read that passage in Acts, to me it says something about speaking to people at the place they're at and being able to speak to language, people in a language that they understand. And I can certainly see in people the gift of being able to talk to people on their level in a way that they understand. Um, so somebody who can sit down and have a cup of tea with somebody and be able to engage at that level and it, be able to engage with different people in different ways in a way that is intelligible and understandable. So if the speaking in tongues is about people being able to understand a message and democratising this so that it's for everyone, I can certainly see that gift that people have got and some people are better at that than others and I can see that that perhaps is a gift. I frankly, maybe Steve can talk about this, but I don't understand, I'm not going to write it off in the slightest because I think we live in a mysterious creation, but don't so much understand the sort of the speaking in tongues babble type thing. Um, I don't quite understand how that works um, personally, but um, you've got to live with the tension of you don't understand it all, but you can try and find your paradigm on some of it. I think. And picking up from there, one time for one last question or two last questions, going back to the whole thing about the gifts of the spirit being exercised in our Sunday gatherings, and midweek gatherings, um, uh, my first response again is the gifts of the Spirit should be exercised all day, every day. You know, there's nothing different between Sunday morning and, um, and Monday morning. It's just we're all together. So uh, we've got to live intentionally the whole time. And then uh, uh, Paul says, somebody's asked, what does Paul mean when he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you? Uh, he do, uh, Paul does say that, of course. And then uh, later he says, I'd rather speak two words in plain language than a thousand words in a tongue. A little bit of background is really important to all of this because I know the church gets hung up universally about speaking in tongues. It really does. It becomes the be all and end all for a lot of people. If we do that, then somehow um, we're in line with God's spirit and not. Understanding Paul in his context is really very important because until we do that, we just yank terms and words and uh, out of context. So some of you in uh, this room uh, who are LGBT, you've had the Paul's words used against you all your life to condemn you. Why? Because people yank terms and words out of context and then they weaponize them and they use them on people. We also tend to yank these terms about speaking in tongues out of context. In Paul's context, um, first, the first century, there were lots of this ecstatic um, uh, uh, religions around. They were, um, there was the, the worship of the emperor, and then there were lots of cults with all of their temples. Any of you have ever been to Rome, etc., will see all those temples lined up. If you've not been to Rome, just Google it, and you'll see that you can go see them. You know, you, you see them, they're still there today. And in each of these temples, all sorts of ecstatic worship was practiced. And the early church in Rome and various other Roman cities, of course, reflecting its context and culture, uh, did exactly the same. So why do we have bands in churches now? Paul would have never had a band in a church because they didn't know what a guitar was or a PA system. Why do we have choirs? Why do we have organs that play in cathedrals? This is nothing to do with 
the, the, you know, we just say, well, that's just cultural, don't we? That's just cultural. There's nothing wrong with an organ. They came from the music halls. And because they were used in the music halls, they ended up in churches. But until then, nobody sang to any instrument and they didn't sing words of songs. They sang words of psalms unaccompanied 200 years ago in this country. But we do all of these things now. Why? Because we're attempting to be culturally significant in what we do instead of doing plain chant in the 21st century in the middle of a cosmopolitan city. So when Paul speaks about tongues, it's because all of that's going on around him. It's part of the cultural and religious atmosphere of the 21st century, of the, 20, of, of the first century. But he makes the point, I'd rather speak to, to three words in plain English than all this other stuff. But if you, if you want to know, I can speak in tongues more than you can. That's what he's saying. So our task is always to do these things. And I know time's gone, but I want to make this point. I want to make it real clear, because it's another point. Because it's, why don't we give more time? Why don't we give more time and space, um, somebody else asked, more time and space for the intentional opportunity of the Spirit to manifest itself? I've been in churches where what that means is give an open mic to anyone who wants to come down the front and stand here. I will never allow that to happen in this church. Why? because I love you too much, and I will not give a mic to someone who might pronounce a curse over you. Be careful who you listen to, especially in an evangelical church. Be careful who you trust. Be careful who you trust your life to. Be careful who you allow to speak into your life, because there are many of us sat here right now who've had our lives pretty well screwed up by people with a microphone who told us what God's word was for us. So, of course, everybody has a chance to speak and to lead. But we will not create, allow a situation to be created where anyone can come along. You have no knowledge who they are. And they somehow announce God's word into your life. Of course, the churches that Paul worked with weren't like this one. They were small, very small. Not that we're huge, but they were very small. They were a circle of friends. They were like a small group where everyone knew. Paul started revolutionary cell groups, not mega churches. And people knew each other in them and so could speak to each other in that context. But it would be, would it not, a neglect of the responsibility and duty of the leaders of this church to allow some... In fact, just the other week, someone came actually, they came and they, they came from a charismatic church and announced themselves at the door. Was it to you, Daniel? Yeah. And um, they said that God sent me here to bring a word for you. I'd like the microphone. And those who, it wasn't me, those who spoke to them said, well, no, but stay and get to know us and join a small group and serve in the church. And then you can have the microphone. They left after the first song. There are, be careful who you allow to speak into your life with authority. I think all of that's built into the words of Paul, but we often lose it because we lose the context. Anyway, God bless you all. We love you. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> that's just getting up to wander away. I hope that makes sense to you. I hope that gives you something to think about. 
Dave and I are not saying we're the last word in any of these things. Remember, in the New Testament, the word preach means to dialogue. It doesn't mean monologue. It means conversation. Any good sermon should send us away thinking. Thinking hard. So come back. Let's talk about all of these things because they're all important. But our job is to protect one another and build one another and to see that everyone who takes part is is coming from that place. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing. Lord, we thank you that we've been able to have the beginnings of this discussion, but we pray it will be a big discussion. We long to see more miraculous things happen. We long to see miraculous things happen in terms of healings of people. We long to see our city healed. We long to see the politics of this country healed. We long to see the politics of the world healed. We long to see the fair distribution of wealth. We long to see that no person lives in poverty, that no young person is abused. We long to see equality for men and women. We long to see a world that reflects who you are. We long to see the miraculous and we know that we're called filled with your spirit constantly to invade a world with love, to work, to bring these things round, to act prophetically in the name of Jesus. Hear us and help us to respond to our own prayer. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit www.oasiswaterloo.org.